so often in our food supply, birds are not considered. Like even in our federal regulations or animal welfare acts, things like that, birds do not have protection. Um, and which is very silly to me because chickens, especially when we're talking meat, there are more chickens produced in the U.S. just per bird than any other animal, livestock animal. There are billions of chickens that are processed for food in the U.S. So we should be considering them when we're talking about animal welfare. Some regulation, especially for the, the birds that we're really concerned about, um, as soon as possible is really important. And another reason that we want to see this pass, even if it's not perfect, is because there's a lot of small farmers right now, especially those that raise eggs, um, or organic eggs specifically, and organic poultry, who are really suffering because they're competing with industrial giants. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gravey, and I'm the host of the show. And I'm thrilled to have as my guest today, Kestrel Bertram. Kestrel is a policy director of the Cornucopia Institute. Kestrel champions authentic organic agriculture in their research, writing, and regulatory work and direct advocacy. Kestrel has a background as both an animal technician in research and industry settings and has hands-on experience with different types of livestock and food. Organic and environmentally conscious farming is an essential part of their background. Having grown up on a familial farms and assisted in all aspects of farm management. The Cornucopia Institute engages in educational activities supporting the ecological principles and economic wisdom underlying sustainable and organic agriculture. Through research and investigations on agriculture and food issues, the Cornucopia Institute provides needed information to family farmers, consumers, and other stakeholders in the good food movement. Kestrel also holds a JD with a Certificate in Environmental and Natural Resource Law from Lewis and Clark Law School. Kestrel, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on today. And I wanted to have you on the show today to talk about animal welfare. And I feel this is a topic that doesn't get enough of our attention. And I'd love to have you educate our audience a bit on the subject and talk about some of the work you're doing doing at Cornucopia. And I'd also like to be educated myself. Yeah, so what my work focuses on the organic label and animal welfare within the organic label. Um, although I can certainly speak in general to animal welfare and our food in a broad sense because it's all interrelated. Yeah, most recently I've been doing a lot of work on some regulatory work that has come across the USDA's desk where there's going to be animal welfare improvements potentially in the organic standards, which is exciting and um, is a long time coming. Uh, so that's been my 
most recent focus as far as animal welfare is concerned. Is um, that the OLPS rulemaking? Yeah, correct. About? So the, it's a there's a proposed rule that just finished its comment period called the Organic Livestock and Poultry Standards, which is OLPS, um, and it is essentially a standards update for that is focused on animal welfare. So um, it covers livestock healthcare practices. It covers livestock um, production standards. So like just in general, like how the livestock are raised. Um, it covers things like um, medical healthcare. So euthanasia, alterations like beak trimming. Um, and most relevant to organic is it's um, making it more clear. The current standards have quite a bit of animal welfare in them already, but it's making some things that weren't clear before more clear. So one of the big things that we've been focused on is outlawing the use of illegitimate outdoor access for organic poultry. And the hope is that this rulemaking will go through. It's still in the regulatory process, of course. We're hoping that it will go through and make it very clear that all organic poultry must have legitimate outdoor access. Yes, um, and, and that let, I want to. I have a question about that because yeah. maybe our listeners uh, don't know this, but some of the ways that they label poultry and and eggs, uh, you know, they're, they're deceiving, aren't they? Because you yeah. you may make the assumption that there's birds running around on the grass, and that's not really the case. There are so many egg labels, especially out there. There's a ton of third-party labels, which just means labels not administered by a government of some kind. And I mean, we hear from consumers all the time that they're very confused because there's just so many labels, not just animal welfare labels, but environmental type focus labels. Um, and then there's just some like industry standard labels and they're all, they all kind of have their different flavors and organic is the only label that's administered by the federal government that speaks to production standards. Um, and that's one reason we focus on that label. But yeah, I, I, I see egg cartons all the time with like pictures of hens out with a big red barn in the back. And that's not necessarily what you're getting. So I think it's misleading. Um, and I'm sure a lot of consumers do as well, because you expect when you see those labels that you're getting like a pasture raised egg or you know a, yeah. a, a, something from a bird that has had legitimate time outdoors or has been able to perform its natural behaviors and that's not always the case well the same happens in in food labeling in general as we know you know i get that question asked all the time for somebody who's not real educated on the subject they said but it was all natural <laughs> you know which means nothing but it, i think even more confusing is when it says non-GMO. Well, yeah. that doesn't, that's great, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's not grown with pesticides or glyphosate or anything. And I think this is by design. I really do. It's to sell their product. It's, <laughs> you know, that's on things that, you know, it's like on a piece of meat or something, it'll say gluten-free or something ridiculous like that. But anyway, so go ahead with, with, um, 
what you were talking about, the OLPS? So just in general, so or, the organic label right now does have some animal welfare benefits over like free range and things like that. Um, all organic livestock are required to have um, time outdoors, space, light, and um, they should be raised with allowance for their natural behaviors, which covers a whole <laughs> whole swath of animal welfare benefits um, because the natural behaviors is usually a good benchmark for animal welfare. Um, and ruminant livestock, so ruminant livestock are cattle, sheep, things like that, um, that primarily get most of their diet from forage, rooting forage. They have a lot of requirements in the organic standard. So they have requirements for how what their diet should be, really specific requirements that they have to be on pasture for a certain number of days and like a certain amount of their diet has to be from fresh pasture. Um, and they have requirements for um, like how their young are treated and how their young come into our organic program. So there's a lot of stuff that covers ruminant livestock already in the rules. Where there's been a big vacuum is with avian species. Uh, so while there are updates for all livestock in this proposed rulemaking, the big new thing is that we're having a ton of standards, hopefully going forward for specifically for birds. Um, and so birds before did not have specific requirements for like spacing or um, their diet, other than it has to be organic feed, of course, like all, all organic livestock have to get organic feed. Um, so this proposed rule, if it goes through, would add things for um, stocking density inside and outside um, requirements for what their outdoor space must look like. So like how much vegetation, soil, et cetera, is out in the outdoor space. Um, it would add some things, specific things about alterations. So like when, when you can perform alterations. And again, the most important thing is that it would what do you mean by that, perform alterations? Yeah, so alterations um, are practices that are done to livestock, not just in organic, but all livestock, um, that have some functional benefit um, to the either, either the animal or the farmer or in some way. So um, like common alterations you'd think it would be like beak trimming of chickens with a um, or even debeaking is an alteration, which is already outlawed in organic, um, where they cut off part of the chicken's beak to prevent it from cannibalizing its fellows. Um, usually considered not to be great animal welfare, as you can imagine, because it does have a functional effect on um, the bird's uh, you know, nervous system, its ability to sense the world around it, its ability to feed. Um, so that's a, a common alteration that's discussed. There's also things like um, de-snubbing and uh, uh, tail docking is really common, like in sheep, for example. Things like that are considered alterations. Um, castration uh, is common in, in a lot of livestock production, and that's considered an alteration. So things like that, okay. um, where you're modifying the animal's body in some, in some way, for some reason, and already organic requires alterations to they have to be like um have some purpose that is 
like meaningful and not just for the benefit of the farmer alone. So it has to like be for the animal's benefit. And they have so to, like, can you give me an them. example of what that would be? Something, some alteration that was beneficial for the animal, just so I can clearly understand. Yeah, so one good example is in some climates, especially, so there's some sheep that have a lot of like excess folds in their skin. And sometimes they will basically, when they're young, um, those ex excess skin folds will be removed to prevent um, infections in the skin, which can be common like in really humid climates, for example, or where flies are an issue because it caused like infections from the flies. Um, and so that's kind of something potentially for the animal benefit and also would not need to be performed in all climates too, because it's kind of like a situational thing. Um, and some folks will argue that beak trimming is for the chicken's benefit. And I'm a little iffy on that. Uh, so beak trimming is where they don't take off a huge portion of the beak. They just take off the very tip of a chicken's um, beak. So they kind of have like a little hook on the tip of their beak. They just take that off when they're chicks. And the idea there is to lessen the instance of um, like damage in the flock because chickens will uh, peck at each other and um, potentially could get aggressive as well. And I mean, from what I see and what I argue is that if the chickens aren't stressed, they're not gonna do that anyway. And if there is like a specific chicken that has a behavioral issue, maybe that one should be removed from the flock. But in general, chickens are not gonna damage each other if they're happy already. Right, that makes sense to me. Yeah, so the beak trim is, is one that is really up for debate right now, in, especially in the organic industry. It is um, all chickens pretty much in a conventional industry, except for like um, backyard, small, small flock are beak trimmed. So it's a very common industry practice, extremely common. Um, and a lot of the farmers we talked to in the organic industry, because they don't raise their own chicks, they can't get chicks that aren't beak trimmed just because it's so common. So we're hoping that over time, especially with this regulation, these practices will be less common and farmers that don't want it can actually get animals that don't have it too. So there's layers and layers of, you know, of this industry complications with these kinds of animal welfare improvements. There's a lot of farmers that want to see these, I would say the majority of organic farmers want to see these stricter standards come forward. Um, and it's only industrial giants that don't. And those industrial giants are mostly conventional with like a side um, organic brand. Um, so, so yeah, it's quite, it's quite, um, this would improve those standards for alterations and also just clarify and improve a bunch of things um, that, you know, need to be improved, especially the aspect of there's being like a vacuum for avian species, which so often in our food supply, birds are not considered. Like even in our federal regulations or animal welfare acts, things like that, birds do not have protection. Um, and which is very silly to me because chickens, especially when we're talking meat, there are more chickens produced in the US just per bird than any other animal, livestock animal. There, you know, there's billions of chickens that are processed for food in the US.
So we should be considering them when we're talking about animal welfare. Exactly. So where are we in the process? Uh, well, my question is twofold. So the OLPS ruling, uh, I know the comment period has ended for public comment, correct? That is correct, yeah. Okay. So where are we at this point in the ruling and what do you want to see happen with this ruling and why, why do you feel it's so important? Yeah. So like you said, the, the first public comment period for this rulemaking has closed. However, it is a proposed rulemaking. So that means we're going to see at least one more iteration of this that will go through public comment. Um, so it'll either be another, like an edited, another proposed rule, mm -hmm. or they will edit it and put it up to the public comment again, or we'll get a final rule, which will also be up for public comment. And um, our hope is that this rule goes through for quite a few reasons. I would say the rule is not perfect. There's places that we would like to see improved and our own comments, the Cornucopia Institute's comments, we did comment on that. However, that being said, um, we really don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good here. And getting some regulation, especially for the, the birds that we're really concerned about, um, as soon as possible is really important. And we can always improve on things later once we get something like a minimum bar, basically. Because right now there's that vacuum for birds specifically, and we want to see that. Um, and another reason that we want to see this pass, even if it's not perfect, is because there's a lot of small farmers right now, especially those that raise eggs, um, or organic eggs specifically, and organic poultry, who are really suffering because they're competing with industrial giants um, that have sort of shoved their way into the organic label, even though the organic label, you know, isn't really intended for that kind of production just because of this vacuum in standard. And they can't compete. So these small farmers, they're, you know, they're selling their eggs for, you know, six, seven dollars a dozen. And these industrial giants come in and they share the same label, that same organic steel, but they're able to sell their eggs for five dollars a dozen. <laughs> and, and many consumers don't know the difference. Yeah. I mean, how do you know the difference when they share the same label and right. And honestly, these industrial giants have very powerful marketing, right? They're yes, great they do. Um, so it, it's really been harming the small farmers and a lot of them have gone out of business or or had to go to, you know, leave the organic label entirely. And the longer this doesn't go and this improvement isn't in place, the more small legitimate farmers we're going to lose. Mm. So, and I will say that folks will say, oh, well, what they can just become pastured eggs or um, free range eggs or whatever. Um, the reason the organic label is important, especially for poultry, is that the feed is organic. Um, so a lot of pastured eggs you'll see, the feed is not organic. So then you're having that feed coming from a conventional source where it's being sprayed, it's um, heavily damaging to the environment. And um, you, I mean, poultry feed almost always includes soy or lentils or um, wheat or corn, and these are crops that are heavily, heavily sprayed. Um, and 
folks will say, oh, that's just an environmental issue. I'm more concerned about animal welfare. I guarantee you that the animal welfare impact on wildlife and um, you know downstream effects of these herbicides and pesticides is having a significant effect on animal welfare um, and human welfare too. I mean, we're animals. So. Right. Um, so that's my concern with only having pasture-based production available for these small folks is that they don't want to have to bring in that conventional feed. Um, but if folks aren't willing to pay because that organic feed is more expensive, then of course they're going to have to do that. We don't have any, like, we're not going to shove blame on these small farmers who are just trying to survive. So um, so what you're saying is if, if it, the label currently says pasture raise, but it's not, doesn't say organic, they can use conventional feed. I guarantee you they are using conventional feed okay. unless it's a small farmer that you know down the street who says I'm feeding organic and here are my feed bags um just because the it's organic feed is a whole issue in and of itself where um it's one of the benefits of the true benefits of having organic livestock products is that that animal is eating organic feed and therefore not getting that pesticide exposure through that route as well um which i think a lot of folks don't consider and again it depends on what your value is as a consumer if you're more concerned about pesticide exposure animal welfare again i would argue that pesticides have a huge impact on animal welfare even if it's not the exact animal you're eating at that moment it has impact somewhere yes. along yeah. so so what if the label says pasture-raised and organic? Yeah, so that's great. Um, I would say that consumers should figure out what they mean by pasture-raised. So technically, pretty much all organic livestock products can be labeled pasture-raised because they're all required to have outdoor access. Okay. Um, there are a few pasture-raised third-party labels that have specific standards. Um, but if it just says pasture raised without like a actual um, third party label certifying it, um, the meaning of pasture raised is not really defined. Okay. So it's it can be it can not mean what the consumer thinks it means is what I am trying to say. Um, not to say there aren't amazing pasture raised products out there that don't have third party labels, but again, you got to be critical and if you want pasture raised, you often have to do the homework yourself. Right. Well, I tell that to my clients all the time. I said, you got to do your homework. And, you know, we just live in a climate where you you really almost need to know your farmers. And Absolutely. I encourage people to call and ask questions. Uh, don't just assume because there's so many deceptive practices these days. You you kind of have to be a sleuth. Absolutely. And the Cornucopia Institute does have some guides on our website for folks that don't know where to start with, like what questions to ask. We do have some guides for that. And we also have some scorecards for specifically for organic brands. Um, if folks want some place to start, because I know it's it's overwhelming at times. It's completely overwhelming with all the labels and brands out there. Um, Can I talk about a specific brand? I mean, are you OK with me doing that? Sure. 
I don't okay. know if I know anything about them, but yeah. Okay. So, so my local grocery store, um, it, it's not all organic, but carries quite a bit of organic, uh, carries rosy chicken mm -hmm. and it's got a pretty low rating on, on your scorecard. And can you tell us why that would be? Yeah. So I can sort of elaborate how we do our scorecards a little bit. I think that will help. Yeah. Uh, so our scorecards are based on our independent research um, and also a survey that we send out to brands. Um, and we sort of try and have a conversation with brands and we get evidence from them that we then try and confirm outside of what they're telling us. And some brands just don't talk to us at all. Like they refuse to. And it's very hard for some brands. There's no information you can find about them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do our best with what resources we have to figure out as much as we can. But if we can't figure out information that's fairly solid, they get a zero. So Rosie is one of those that uh, I believe they didn't respond and we weren't able to find that much information that was like confirmable. We don't just go to the website and say, oh, they say they're great. So we'll say they're great too. Right. We, we try and confirm it from an outside um, source. So often that's just, we couldn't find the information. And to us, that's suspect because transparency is really important in the food system. Right. Um, if they don't have anything to hide, then, then it should be easy to find that information. So that's kind of well, that that impacted me greatly because I just I quit buying their their chicken. You know, I saw that. And uh, for the most part, um, I'm able to buy a really good um, pasture bird chicken here, primal pastures. Mm -hmm. And they're they're local, like 20 minutes away from me. And so those are sold a lot here, um, but not in all the mainstream grocery stores, but um, yeah. Yeah, was... this, this is difficult. A lot of consumers don't have access to the farm down the street or whatever. So yeah. Um, and for those folks that don't have that kind of like personal farm connection. Yeah. Um, that's why, why we did our scorecards is because always, if you can know your farmer, that's the best way. But uh, if you don't have that luxury, which a lot of us don't, um, and you want to do the research yourself, it's a good way to start. Yeah. Can you tell us exactly where that is on your site so our listeners know where to go? Yeah. So our website, let me just pull it up so I'm not getting this wrong here. Okay. Um, our website is www.cornucopia.org. And you can just go there and we, on our headline, we have a bunch of resources. Um. What, and so you can see that there's a scorecard tab at the top there. Um, and we have all, we have multiple um, scorecards. So I mentioned, obviously we have the poultry scorecard for chicken and turkey meat. Um, and we have dairy, we have beef, and then we have a bunch of uh, guides as well. Uh, we have a plant-based beverage scorecard as well. Um, for organic plant-based beverages, yogurt, snack, bars, like granola bars and things like that, um, cottage cheese, and how, where to get the best organic soy as well. And then we have guides for 
other commodities. So um, like, for example, we'd have some work on carrageenan in, in organic food. We have a guide for how to avoid that as well. So yeah, I, I just want to say I find that scorecard information just very valuable. I look at you know, if I have a question, that's one of the places I start is I go to the scorecard and if it's listed there and uh, that's really helpful for me. So I encourage our listeners to to check that out. Very valuable resource. Yeah. And um, if folks have brands that they have that, that aren't on the scorecard, we try and get all the national brands that are available in stores. But if you see something that's missing, please reach out to us. We try and keep these updated on a rolling basis so um and there's new brands popping up in the market all the time so yeah if your yeah. favorite brand isn't listed please reach out to us and we'll get it added yeah yeah well it's and, and it's really important to um to do this type of education so that people can know what to look for you know versus uh, or know what the true meaning of of those words are on a label and to question it <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i really encourage consumers to always question it and always like even labels that you see all the time that are really familiar to you um look up what the actual standards are uh, of those labels and if you can't find the standards it's a big red flag mm -hmm. uh, any third-party label that doesn't have their standards like on their website, easy to look up. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean? What does it mean? And if you don't know what it means, then it's a big red flag. Yeah. My favorite uh, new labeling, fairly new, is when I see a product that says, you know, it's organic and then it has a uh, glyphosate residue free certification. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to buy that product. Because yeah. they have gone the extra mile there and the extra expense to make sure that their product doesn't have glyphosate in it, which for me is very, very important. And it should be for everyone. Yeah, I'm hoping that testing like that will get more common. And also things like soil testing is really exciting. Um, farmers are now starting to do more soil testing to see if they're actually, you know, keeping carbon in the soil and um all these practices that really improve the environmental sustainability of our farms and food production yeah well i think testing is a way to hold people accountable too it just is it's um i'm on the board of moms across america and uh we recently uh tested school lunches and it was it was horrific. That's the only word I can come yes. up with. What we are feeding our children. So um, if anybody hasn't seen that, go to, uh, you can go to my interview on the site uh, about it, or you can go to momsacrossamerica.org and see the results of that testing because um, it, it's a tragedy what we're feeding our children in the schools. Yeah, our most vulnerable are often getting the very worst food. I know, I know, I know. And and many people are just not aware, you know, which to me is a little bit surprising, but true. Yeah, well, that's a little beacon of hope that I can offer is that um, we do a lot of consumer education work. And I will say that 
in the time that I've worked at the Cornucopia Institute, consumers are getting more and more savvy and more and more invested and interested in their food systems. And that is really exciting for us. Um, and I think it represents what will hopefully be a sea change and we'll see people demanding that their food not only be safe, but healthy and not environmentally damaging. And of course that animal welfare piece, consumers are very interested in that too. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So um, let's go back uh, again to the OLPS uh, rules. When do you think this will will happen or come to fruition or what what's the what's the next step with it? Yeah, so the next step is um, it's now back with essentially the USDA, um, the United States Department of Agriculture, and their standards division will be reading all the comments that were submitted and debating about what to change, if they're going to change anything. And our hope is that they, if anything, tweak it to improve it a little bit and then publish a final rule that will hopefully be implemented quickly. So one of our big things that we have been pushing for is that we want the implementation to be quick because again, like I had mentioned, the small farmers are going out of business and consumers want consistency. So unfortunately, the wheels of government regulation are not speedy. <laughs> right. So when I say I hope it will be implemented quickly, I'm hoping that if we're lucky, we'll see a final rule next year. Um, and then usually implementation is, you know, typically a year for it to be implemented once it's finalized. Um, and that will be fast for the government regulatory process. Um, this rule comes after um, another rule that was very similar was scrapped during the Trump administration. Um, so this is kind of a revitalization. So I feel like we're a little behind already because we already went through a whole public process with a very similar rule um, that was withdrawn after it was already finalized. So why was I, that? Why did that happen? Yeah. So there was many reasons that happened. Um, the Trump administration had an executive order that essentially put a freeze on new regulations. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some, um, some of the economic analysis for that first rule was done incorrectly. So they used that as a reason to withdraw it as well. Um, and honestly, there is significant industry pressure against these rules, not just from the organic industry, but from the conventional industry as well. Um, and I have my theories about why that is. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't say definitively because they're just theories, but I mean, I'm an attorney that works in regulatory process. So I feel like I'm not pulling this out of any nowhere, you know, mm -hmm. the industrial factory farm livestock industry fears animal welfare rules just in general, even if it's not, even if they're not like, don't have a bunch of money in the organic industry, this kind of rulemaking would be precedent for improvements everywhere uh, because consumers will be like, Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> if we can get this here, why can't we get it here? You know? So they are lobbying like heck against any improvements. Um, and so next time this rule comes up for comment, I strongly, strongly encourage everyone to comment. It's your public right to have an input on this federal 
government process. Um, and, you know, they don't always make it easy, but uh, our website also has help on how to comment and things like that. So if you um, if you follow us, we have an uh, e-newsletter that's free. You can sign up on our website. Again, that's at cornucopia.org. Um, and we do alert folks when these rules drop. So you don't have to like watch the USDA's federal rulemaking. It's not that exciting otherwise. Um, so- and I will follow up after this interview. I'll be watching that. So I will yeah. I will put an alert out there too regarding that. I'll probably post what you guys post and send it out. Yeah, I mean, consumers think that their voice may not be important in this federal government process, but it's so, so important. Because if you say, hey, I'm a consumer and I will not only pay for animal welfare benefits that I know are actually there, but I support the farmers who are doing this work and giving reasons why, the federal government is required to read all your comments and yeah. take them into account. And I mean, we could argue all day and night whether they're how they're weighting those comments, but um, they do have to go through them. Um, so your your voice will be seen and your voice is important. Absolutely. You know, I have a question about a label that I see all the time on on meats and uh, birds and such. It's certified humanely raised. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, so certified humane is one of those third party labels that, you know, we've brought up. Um, they are not administered by the government. It's a third party group. Um, they do list there's they can you can find their standards online, which is good. They don't focus on things like the organic labels. They're not concerned about pesticides or being pasture raised or things like that. Um, it's more of a focus on like benchmark standards. I would say like minimum benchmark standards for animal welfare. So things like spacing and um, like how their housing is, make sure their bedding is clean, things like that. Uh, so I don't have necessarily a problem with certified humane, but to me, we can always do better than that. Like the minimum benchmark. Yeah, it doesn't seem like enough. Like for me, if I was looking at um, to purchase a product, I would want it to say <laughs> organic, certified organic, pasture raised, glyphosate residue free, and humanely raised. Yeah, I mean that's that would be the ideal. Yeah. So all the third party labels um, are different levels of strictness and different focuses i would say so right. it's like that minimum benchmark of like your animal isn't suffering um and we have like ways to determine that which is better than the average conventional right i will say like it's certainly better than that um there's the global animal partnership gap certification mm -hmm. that's through whole foods that has different levels i find that a little bit shady because most of the products are like level three, which is eh, not great. Yeah. Um, right. And then they have like their showcase farms that are like five plus, but how much of their product is actually coming from those five plus? Mm -hmm. Not very much. Um, animal welfare approved is one of the stricter standards as far as animal welfare is concerned. Oh, okay. 
Um, so um, that one's a little bit better administered in my opinion. Like they actually have like people going out to farms, which some of these labels, no one even goes out to the farm to look at the farm or the animals. Um, a lot of them have standards and they say, okay, check off whether you're following these and the farm will be like, yes, I am. And then they get the certification. Um, well, that doesn't make sense to me. So nobody's checking. Right. Or they check once and then they. Yeah. They, right. Yeah. And, so, and, and the, and the, the, uh, the farmers know that. Right. Oh, yeah. They, oh, oh yeah. 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 I mean, they do have to pay for these labels, the third party labels. Um, so it is a marketing tactic for some of them. Some of them, it's legitimately like they want to showcase what they're doing. Right. Some of them, it's just a marketing tactic. And again, it depends on the label. And I think it's very confusing to consumers. If you have organic certification, you are required to have an inspection at least once a year and surprise inspections are expected. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's like an on-farm inspection. There's obviously a lot of paperwork that goes into organic certification too, but there has to be a person on the ground checking everything as well. So, yeah. So I think that there's benefits and downsides to these third-party labels. And I think consumers use it as a way to not do the homework. But unfortunately, I think that they should be still doing the homework, at least to know what those third-party labels mean. And for things like eggs, where there's, it feels like there's like 20 different labels right. that eggs can have. Um, it can be um, hard to track for sure. Yeah. Well, typically if you see eggs for $2 a dozen, you know, you, you're going to get not very good quality. No. You know, yeah. that's, I mean, let's just the face it. The of laying hens in the U.S. are still raised in battery cages. Yeah. And if you've ever seen a video or watched or seen photographs of that, that might in, in and of itself change your mind right there. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to know that. Yeah. Like, like somehow if you don't, if you don't see it, it's, it's not happening, but that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are problematic about that. I mean, just even the ability for, um, people to access food that isn't from that. Like I have real concerns about organic food not being accessible, but we also need to remember that those conventional food, the those battery caged hens, their production is heavily subsidized by the government, whereas organic production is not. So um, I think, you know, food access is a huge concern people have about organic food. And I think the solution is not to make it cheaper, but to make food have its real cost. Mm -hmm. like conventional food does not have, is not, the cost is not accurate to what it's costing those brands. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of propped up. And yeah. I don't know when we decided, I say we, you know, people yeah. in this country <laughs> mainly, when, when it was decided that cheap food was good. But I think when that happened, that's when the standards just went lower and lower and lower. I was um, listening to a conversation the other day and people were talking about turkeys and somebody um, mentioned that, oh, you can, the, the best deal on turkeys, they have them for 49 cents a pound at, 
blah, 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 you know, and I think they're, they're really good ones. They're the butterballs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course I kind of had to hold my tongue a little bit as much as I could, but I didn't. And I said, I would never eat a butterball turkey. I said, you don't know what it's been fed. You don't know how it's been raised, but I guarantee you it's, it's not been good. And, you know, I, I was just kind of looking at people when I made that comment and one person was shaking their head and, but the rest were just kind of looking at me like, oh, oh, she's a little over the top over there. But, um, yeah, where I live, we, we raise, uh, turkeys. I live on a a off-grid organic farm and we raise heritage breed, truly pastured turkeys. They're, they're just for us. They're not, you know, we don't sell them, but so I, I really know the difference and, and I really think it's important to do this education and do things like the Cornucopia Institute is doing so that the consumer can be educated and aware and then tell somebody else, you know, that's how we, you know, each one teach one. That's my theory. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I think that, I mean, in a world that's so overwhelming right now, um, every little bit that we can help each other, the better and help our communities and, and support our community farmers as well. Yeah. uh, Because they're doing a lot of hard work to provide food that's higher quality. Yeah. To their consumers. Um, Yeah. And, and even going to farmers markets, um, you know, ask questions too. Mm-hmm. Uh, people assume too when they go to a farmer's market that everything is going to be organic. It may be fresher, which is good, and local, which is good. But ask your farmer, do they spray? I mean, I I ask all the time. I'm the squeaky wheel. And I know, I know the ones that I believe and the ones I don't believe, you know, they, oh yeah, we're good, you know, and they don't look you in the eye or something, but you know, you just have to ask questions because there are a lot of of small farmers that um, are not doing the organic certification, but they are, they have good, you know, soil methods and farming methods, so. Yeah, and I will say, even with those farmers who are spraying, the more consumers that ask questions and say, hey, this is what we want, we can get them to switch. Yes. Um, so it's it's really powerful. If if someone knows that they'll be supported when they make that kind of change, they're more likely to make that kind of change. Absolutely. And and that's why we need to support them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll- the organic transition takes three years. So they may not have that big seal when they're transitioning, but they, they're not spraying necessarily because they have to have three years of no spray. Um, and those farmers need to be supported through their transition too. I have a farm down the road that's decided to transition. And I was like, now that you decided to transition, we are getting all of our meat from you. Um, even though you don't have a seal yet, I'm really appreciative that you're going that direction. Um, so I think that kind of support is also important. And again, organic standards are, are fairly complicated. Um, so, I mean, it's, I understand that consumers don't always understand all the nuances there, but it is more expensive for farmers to go organic and they should be supported through that. Yeah. Right. Well, Keisha, this has been wonderful information, and um, I love uh, the work you're doing, 
and it's cornucopia.org. Check out their scorecard and sign up for their um, mailing list. And you'll get important updates like the OLPS rulings that affect all of us. And share this, share this interview with others that may not know. Sometimes I feel like with, with my audience, I'm a little bit preaching to the choir because they're pretty educated, but, but we're a minority. So, you know, let's keep it going. Yeah. Share with your friends and, and this good food movement needs all the help it can get. So. Yes, it does. And that's what we're here to do. So again, thanks for being a guest on our show and thanks yeah, to our thank listeners. You. And we'll be back soon with another great guest. 